FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. All right, welcome everybody to episode 40. Uh, 40 something. 40 something. I think it's 44. You should just leave a space and edit in you saying the rest of it. 40. <laughs> 44. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's 40. This is going to be 44. The podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason Flamin Air Force Venable. And I'm joined once again, returning from his paternity leave, we have Cameron Thrice Damn Sinclair. <laughs> I didn't even do that on purpose, but it's your third kid, so he kind of fits. That's true. <laughs> All right. My problem. Yeah, so we're going to do another uh, flashback episode. It's going to be Flashback the Savage Land. So as far as where this fits in the timeline, um, it's going to be a, a Savage Land trilogy, if you will. It's going to be uh, now Uncanny X-Men 1, 14, 15, and 16. And 114 would normally mark, and that's Wolverine's fourth anniversary, if you will. So it kind of evenly ends year four, and then what kind of do the first little bit of year five there. But that's kind of where the story falls in Wolverine's history. Before we jump into that too much, since I think this episode will come out before the current episode, I just want to mention um, the movie real fast. Um, I'll talk more about it in the... July episode, so you can look forward to it there. But Cameron, you haven't seen her, right? Not yet. Not yet. All right. Go next week. Cool. Sounds good. Well, so basically, just a real quick spoiler-free. Um, this first impression is that um, I thought while it was not a perfect movie, it was a really, really good Wolverine movie. Um, it does not really stick to the the Claremont Miller miniseries that it was kind of purported to be about. It's similar, some of the same characters, but just like any book that's based on a, or sorry, any movie that's based on a book or a comic book, they take a lot of liberties. But that said, um, I feel like Jackman still really just nails the character just kind of time after time. And I thought it was really good. So I'll kind of leave it at that. Me and you will talk about it more the next time we record after you've seen it. All right. Sounds good. But, yeah, I'll kind of leave it at that. So, basically, where the X-Men are right now, remember they just got done fighting Magneto in his underground volcano base in in Antarctica. And uh, Magneto escapes as the base self-destructs when they open the volcano sunroof. And then Phoenix is able to save Beast. She kind of erupts out of the volcano. But presumably the rest of the X-Men are are either dead or buried alive in the bottom of this volcano. And then Beast and Jean collapse in an arctic blizzard. And that's kind of where we left off. So, let's get to it. Okay, so first up we have Uncanny. Yes, I said Uncanny X-Men number 114. To celebrate Wolverine's fourth birthday, they changed the title of the comic book (laughs) to the title that we all came to kind of know and love, or at least, you know, us old guys anyway. (laughs) Grew up on... I know uh, I do. Yeah, grew up on Uncanny X-Men, so that was pretty cool. Glad to see it. Okay, so this one is um, plotted by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. Of course, scripted by Claremont and uh, pencils by John Byrne. Inked by Terry Austin. Letters by Tom Orzachowski. And the color is Glennis Wine, right? 
Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so, on the cover, we have The Day the X-Men Died. This cover is by John Byrne and Austin. Basically, we have Jean Grey and Beast pushing a swept over Professor X in his wheelchair in a dark room. And behind them are like ghost silhouettes of the other X-Men that we are presuming to be dead at this point. Uh, what do you think about this cover, Cameron? I think it's a really good cover. I like the morning aspect of, of how you know they're walking along the hallway. It's dark. And then you have the rest of the team behind them in the shadow. I do think it's kind of misleading. Oh, it's definitely misleading. I, yeah, I really, misleading. <laughs> I really tried to put myself like, and it's really kind of impossible to do. But I tried really hard to try to think. Okay, if I was reading these new back then, would I have really thought the X Men were dead? Or I mean, it's not by this point. We get fake deaths so many times. Like even if I was right. reading this, like even if this was a brand new cover now, I wouldn't believe it at all. Right. Well, I'm wondering if in in the late 70s, though, if I would have, have been, if it would have been new enough or fresh enough that I would have been fooled by it. Well, maybe, but I think what's what bothers me about it more is it's misleading in that, you know, the X Men they didn't die, and I think it's, I would think that even in 78, someone be pretty this, obvious. They're gonna know that all of the X Men aren't gonna die in one right. issue, especially in a terrible story like the one with Magneto. <laughs> that that's not gonna be the end of it all. Right. But the way, so the way, what bothers me is the way the cover sets up is it's it it makes it seem that this issue is going to be about that. Right. So like the morning process. Looking at this, and... well, at, at this cover, I would assume if I thinking back 78, I'm one years old. I get this comic at the grocery store, and I'm thinking, well, what's happened to the X-Men? So I see the cover, and I would think that this comic is going to be about them being sad, dealing with the death of the X-Men, right. and then searching for the X-Men. Yeah. But not, and then maybe the very last panel showing the X-Men uh, are still alive. You ju- what you just described is if, it, if this transpired in the mid-90s, that's exactly how it would have gone That down. is. So yeah. instead, we get three pages of Beast <laughs> and... And uh, Marvel Girl, and then, oh, actually, the X-Men are alive, and it's the X-Men. And then the rest <laughs> right. of the book, except for a couple of panels with Professor X, are just about the X-Men. Right. And in the Savage Land, so it's completely irrelevant to the cover, which I found very disappointing. Okay. Not, I mean, disappointing is not the right word, but just because you, I... You I felt thought, like you were getting one story and you got another. Right, because it's like, that wasn't even the story. And it's not <laughs> even, there wasn't even any moment where anybody... Except for the maybe the you know few minutes after you read the first co- the comic before, you might have thought they all died, but I would assume you would assume they weren't. They're going right. to get out of this, and then they transition to the Savage Land story so quickly. It's like what was the whole point of know, right. the cover? Was like if anything, there's more mourning on the other side, where <laughs> the X Men in the Savage Land wondering about Gene and Hank. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. They spend a lot more time talking yeah. about that. Yeah, it was weird. Anyway, artistically, cool though, I think it's a, it's a good-looking cover. Yeah, so. it is. And, of course, we get our first Uncanny on the cover, so... That means something. Pretty exciting. All right, well, also, the, the, the issue's not called The Day of the X-Men Died. The issue is actually called Desolation. And, basically, the basic summary is Beast and Phoenix... Oh, they're the lone survivors. Can't read my writing there. All right. So Beast and Phoenix are the lone survivors, and they're rescued by a helicopter. 
Colossus punches the X-Men through a tunnel to the Savage Land. Beast and Jean go home to tell Professor X that the X-Men are dead. The X-Men find a village. There's a whole lot of interpersonal drama. Scott somehow realizes that Corsair is his dad. Scott's kind of numb over Jean. Wolverine's really tore up. And at the end, Storm gets ambushed by Sauron. Or Sauron. How do you say that? I always said Sauron. Okay, like Lord of the Rings? Yeah. Okay. All right. But I don't, I don't know. All right, so that's that's the uh, that's the long and mostly short of it. All right, so let's uh, let's kind of break it down a little bit more. I uh, I think this first page is freaking awesome. Yeah, that's a great page. Um, I like kind of a trend we're gonna see at least at least through this story arc, and I think I remember it being more going forward is working the title into the image. Yeah, it's something that John Byrne does really really well, and I don't think. I won't speak for outside of X-Men because I don't know. As far as the X-Universe goes, he's kind of the first person to really do that. Yeah. To really like work the wording of the title into the art. And here we have like Desolation like in a snowbank. And I love like Beast with the, all the frozen fur. Like yeah. He kind of was like a frost giant. But he's got yeah. like, you know, an ice mustache and goatee and the, the wings on his hair are all frozen. Yeah. Anyway. On this page, on the second page, he looks like a a scroll. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he does look the like way a scroll. It looks like the ice is. <laughs> yeah. got the little divots in his chin. On him. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird, but but the first page, very cool. So as I said on page two, we get our kind of first really uh, John Byrne sexy Phoenix, <laughs> and of course she has her uniform all ripped off, so you, you know bare shoulders and a little. Good little piece of her midriff with a hole in her uniform, but about as far as they could go. Yeah, but that's kind of like the first. Um, I don't know, the first time you kind of really see what it, what what all these guys are fighting over Gene for. Yeah. So, and plus, you know, Byrne is known for drawing attractive females, and we kind of get that in force in this story arc. I think. Yeah, definitely. But um, so what do you think of our um, first full page spread of the Savage Land? Now I know uh, I ha- I am from Kid Authority that you hate the Savage Land. Then <laughs> <laughs> the thing I saw you 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 deleted them, but I saw some tweets with some anti-Savage Land propaganda. <laughs> That's not true. I think you even went so far as to take it out on the Geico caveman. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, I do dislike the Savage Land. <laughs> I knew. I, in- I don't think I've ever tweeted about it, <laughs> but I do. I do dislike the Savage Land. Yeah, just in principle, I don't know. I just it just doesn't appeal to me. But I I've never been really drawn to kind of the caveman dinosaur right. era, land and the lost kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So yeah, I liked that stuff a lot as a kid, and then I kind of like I don't know if I outgrew it or just turned my nose up at it. But for a long time, I also it felt definitely out of my favor. Thought it was just silly and stupid. Do I still feel that way after this? trilogy we'll see <laughs> tune in and find what out a cliffhanger <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> no but i thought uh john Byrne. of course we have like this full page spread we have like icy mountains in the background which i guess is kind of the border of the savage land and we have an, a big jungle and a little lake or whatever some pterodactyls flying around and cyclops doing a very like eagle scout pointing thing where he's like 
Welcome, X-Men, to the Savage Land. Of course, he's been here before. Because the original X-Men had an adventure in the Savage Land already. Yeah, which I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. But. So, this is a this is a dumb question. But this okay. one I've never quite figured out. Okay. The Savage Land, is it underground? Or is it just... <laughs> I don't really in know. In Antarctica. Yeah, it's I not, think... I always kind of thought it was. Because if it was just up on the surface, how could the atmosphere things keep it hot and why wouldn't satellites just pick, see pictures of it all the time yeah i think and they, and they they i don't know if they're really consistent with that yeah well, i, I feel like at some point it was said that they were underground yeah and with this part it's hard to tell because they dig out of a tunnel and they were in an underground base yeah but i guess they sky. could have dug up to the surface maybe yeah but all the drawings it's sky everywhere and you can see the sun but it's purple oh yeah, that's true you can see the sun and they so make I a big know. deal out of the sun so i don't know it's I've, I've always that's something i've never quite gotten about the savage land yeah i really i don't really know um someone should write in and explain the exact geology of the savage <laughs> Give land us some gps coordinates we yeah, need to know right we want to go there and hunt, <laughs> hunt some dinosaurs no, I thought the first, our, our kind of reintroduction, our first, I don't know if it's the first time John Byrne drew it or not. First time he drew it in the X-Men. Yeah. Um, it's I, it's a cool panel. I mean. Yeah. And how big is the Savage Land? That's another thing. It's that pretty big. Me. It's, they can wander around quite a bit. Because there's all kinds of different people groups. Right. And it's. A, all right. So we get a fastball special. Now, that's not the first time they use that term. No, no, no. No, it's not. It's just another time. They've used it a couple of times, I think, right. by this point. The, uh, but the we're ex- still early into that. So. so when they do the fastball special, Colossus te- tears Wolverine in half. Colossus tears Wolverine in half. His legs get ripped off. Oh, yeah. You see, he's just, he's just flying from the waist up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The X-Men fight some pterodactyls. Wolverine gets pretty savage on one. Or a pterosaurus. Uh, oh, sorry, pterosaurus. I don't yes. know what the difference is. I think it depends on the period they're in, if you're going to get all Jurassic Park on me. But um, Wolverine gets uh, he gets pretty brutal on this beast. Yeah, he goes so, a little nuts. Yeah, he says, it's been a long time since I've been able to cut loose like this. <laughs> and I intend to make the most of it. <laughs> and he, he, uh, he cuts that pterosaur out of the air. And we get some more uh, Wolverine and Cyclops arguing with each other. I like uh, Banshee's line. We say there's no time you, to be yelling at the shrimp because you didn't like the way he saved my life. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> That's well, not the first life, time the Banshee's <laughs> kind of jumped in and said, hey, let's be practical about this, guys. Well, he's older, too, I think. Yeah, That's yeah, part he of is. The, and he was a cop, so that makes him... Yeah. Of course, we get Wolverine's hairy chest through his torn uniform. <laughs> so, you know, he's, he's not, he doesn't want to be sexist, right? So it's not just Jean Grey that's going to have little no, 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 patches no, of skin yeah. showing. We're going to yeah, see we some, get lots of skin some man hair here. Yeah. Even Cyclops, who's... You know, ever since Byrne took over, has definitely gotten buffer than he was when Cochran was drawing him. So Byrne, Byrne's just a, a student of the human body. Yes. That's what you'd say. So we get some naked Banshee. Yeah, so we get lots of skimpy X-Men in the Savage Land. Yeah. Were, were you going to go back and talk about the Professor X stuff? or no? Oh. I didn't really have anything to say about it. I was just curious. Actually, I did have one thing to say. Yeah, about. yeah, go for it. Well, I was just going to ask, because she shows up and tells Professor X, and he's sad, obviously. Um, ha- haven't, and I could be wrong, haven't they already established 
that Professor X has some kind of psychic link with the X-Men. So that if they had died or not <laughs> been dead, he would know that. Yes, he should. So even if, okay, he the Savage felt, Land... He felt Thunderbird die. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I knew they'd established that. Yeah. So even if they'd gone into a different dimension, say that's where Savage Land is, he would have felt that and would have felt that absence. Well, does he say anything about trying to find them and then he can't? Or they just... No, he just okay. puts his head down and cries. That is a cool panel. Yeah, like, it's a good did panel. You get the bookshelf and the shadow in the back and the way the, like, the lights come through the big window. It looks pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, they do that a lot in X-Men with the yeah. window panes yeah. shadow, which is cool. But I, I was, I thought that was kind of weird because it was like, like Professor X had no idea that anything had happened to the X-Men. It's like, but he would know that. Yeah, yeah, you think that he would. So that's weird. So I'll be nitpicky about it. Yeah. And so we find out Wolverine really likes the Savage Land. He kind of feels at home here. Yeah. Likes tearing into animals with his yeah. claws. So, <laughs> Storm in this little trilogy has definitely become the uh, sex kitten of the X-Men. Yeah, they're ramping up her sexuality like, pretty she dramatically. She is, like, super hot, like, in all these issues. Yeah, well, you had that one issue where she took a shower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they kind of didn't do as much with her for well, a Well, we had another shower with John Byrne a couple issues ago. Uh, on the episode John that you met. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> he, he jumped in. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Comic porn. Anyway, so. Funny, he looked just like this panel of, of Banshee up top here. <laughs> there you go. That's John's burn um, self-portrait. <laughs> John face on that guy's body. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So anyway, but yes, we have a, a hypersexuality from Storm. Here. Right. That kind of makes you wonder why... Um, you know, Wolverine might not go for her instead, you know, yeah. just based on pure animal attraction. Because he likes redheads. I guess, yeah, I guess so. That's why he and Banshee get along so well. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah romance. They, they play that. They play that redhead thing up a lot. So yes, I think later. Yeah, definitely. So we know it's the 70s because uh, Cyclops shaves himself into a mustache. Yes, that was so funny. <laughs> What's worse, though? All right, so he, he grows a mustache, or gets a mustache, and basically they did that just for this next little plot element. Yes. Well, I like. <laughs> so he sees his reflection in a damn puddle and knows suddenly that Corsair was his dad. Oh, he had a mustache. He must be my father. Right. Because I really didn't like this. It was really stupid. Well, back up a little bit. Let's think for okay. the, the, the interesting part of this. So, okay. so you're in the Savage Land. You just survived your life. Right. right. You just barely made it there. You have what looks like maybe four days worth of stubble. Right. right. And you're sitting at a lake. And you think that your girlfriend's dead. You're not sure why you don't seem to notice it. You're thinking about the professor and Magneto. And you think... I need a shave. Right. <laughs> so I'm going to get this knife, and I'm going to old-timey shave my face like I'm a cowboy out in the 1800s <laughs> right. with a knife, and I'm going to scrap it off, but I'm going to leave the mustache because I need a mustache, right? Yeah. This is He's having a tough time, so the, what's going to solve that well, see, I don't, I don't think converting he meant... the beard to a mustache. Right. I, I think he was going to shave everything until no. he saw his reflection. No. He says... What does he say? He says here, oh, come on. Let me find it really quickly. 
It says, I wasn't just, much impressed with my beard. Wonder if I... Oh, okay, you're right. Well, so he deliberately Wonder says... Wonder if I'll look any better with just a mustache. I'm having a tough time. <laughs> Let me grow a mustache. <laughs> hey, he, he needs a, a boost of confidence. But again, it's the 70s. But nothing raises your confidence. I, I was a totally different person <laughs> when I had a mustache. <laughs> you were. You were creepy and gross. <laughs> My my uh, selfie ratio on Facebook <laughs> went up like nine hundred percent. Yeah, there you go. So so I can dig it. I know I know Again, what Cyclops is feeling. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, and you get thick the thick stash. But yeah. So the the reflection thing is stupid. It's like he does. It doesn't. Now he suddenly looks like his dad, though right. he doesn't look anything like his dad. No. No, he doesn't. But with a mustache, he does. And the mustache, which is just, again, like four days worth of stubble, in the river, looks like a full-on porn stash. Yeah. Which is the name of a character in Orange is the New Black. Which we oh, were just really? Talking porn about stash? Movie. Yeah, a guy named Porn Stash. That's funny. Is there anything else you want to talk about specifically about the mustache? Just that it looks terrible. And yes, then the next does. couple of panels. And it's all like wussy. They really play up the fact that it's just this small amount of stubble. I didn't understand. I guess this is my biggest beef with it. If they were going to do that, why not give him more beard? Right. Why not say, oh, I've been growing this beard for a while. Well. So I have two weeks worth of stubble. He grew a lot of chest hair in four days. Because Cyclops (laughs) is usually pretty, uh, I don't know. 70s. Boyish. Yeah. (laughs) And suddenly he's like. Charles Bronson over here. Well, you know, and that that's a second, another point to add in here. I feel like one thing that John Byrne has done, I feel like he's aged all of the X-Men. Yeah, I wonder I if that, that was that on that. Claremont's kind of... I wonder if Claremont was like, Cyclops is supposed to be a leader and an original X-Men. I should probably make him look a little more older yeah. than, than the new guys. But it hadn't been that long since they made the big deal about right. how they're young and these new guys like Wolverine are old. But right. they very quickly, Cyclops, Aurora, well, Aurora's already old, but Cyclops, Jean Grey, they don't, they don't look like teenagers at all. I mean, they no. quickly jump to 30s. I mean, it's not even like right. well, he's, it's not right. even like he aged into a 21-year-old. No. I mean, that's like a 35-year-old man right there <laughs> with a mustache and a huge amount of chest hair. Right. And his ex-belt. Yeah. He looks like a wrestler. <laughs> he really does. His little pirate shoes. Right. So then Scott laments. He can't figure out why he doesn't miss Gene more. Like, there's no, like, empty loss. Now, you really kind of beat... When I really beat some stuff up, how would you de- describe, like, this emotional little roller coaster he's going on? I, he's just really confused with why he doesn't feel more about the loss of Jean Grey. Right. I, mean, I guess he feels like he should be in the deepest, blackest depression ever, which, understandably, I think most people would feel pretty... Yeah, well, because he, cause he talks about how he mourns for Beast. Right. Which I thought, it, I felt like that went a little too far. Right, right. The idea that he's not even sad about her. Yeah. But I guess, but they're trying to play up the idea that he really sees her as something different. That as the Dark Phoenix, right, or right. the Phoenix, well, Phoenix not Dark yeah. Phoenix, yeah. Oh, yeah. as Phoenix, he sees her as transformed into a different character that right. he's not in love with. And I guess doesn't even care about because he's not <laughs> bothered by the fact that she's died. Or maybe or he already. Dies. I'm wondering, do you think maybe he already has kind of in 
a different way kind of already mourned the yeah. loss of Gene. Maybe maybe that's a good way to think and of maybe it. Maybe he just hasn't realized that yet. Maybe that's it. That the, yeah, at becoming the Phoenix turned her into something else, so maybe the idea is he's already dealt with it. Right. So because we've already had, I know the the last episode where where you were taking care of your baby, um, uh, Cyclops talked about how he didn't feel like he knew Gene anymore. Like, yeah, he wanted he couldn't she wouldn't give him any time for them to talk one on one. So yeah. so yeah, maybe he's kind of already subconsciously closed part of that door. Yeah. So, but it's still kind of weird. Yeah. It's a weird jump. Well, you would think, even if he had, that the actual physical death or thinking there was a physical death would rip that door right back open. Yeah. It's kind of like when you think you're over somebody and then you find out something horrible and you're like, oh, no, I'm not. Like, I feel, I want to go to that person even though we're not, like, together anymore. Or right. Well, but, even just as a human. Yeah. That another human probably died <laughs> who you spent a lot of time with. Right, right. Even if you don't know them that well anymore, it's just still his teammate. Yeah. And technically his girlfriend. What do you think that part, though, kind of points to his own, not to make Cyclops look like a, a jerk, but kind of his own self-centeredness as far as their relationship goes? Yeah, probably. Okay. His own kind of... Self-centeredness is not the right word, but I can't think of the right... What I, what I would say is the right word, but, but I, yeah, okay. the same kind of idea of being very focused on kind of his his role in all this. All right. I don't know. I, I, I thought it was weird. That yeah. whole exchange from the thing about the dad to the thing about Gene, all that was all weird, I thought. Right. And then we turn a couple of pages and get the complete other side when Wolverine's, like, tore up. Right. Over the prospect of Gene. I like how he still has that half picture that he tore off in the Iron Fist issue. <laughs> I like, yeah. like how he carries that around. Yeah. I do like... Um, <laughs> Um, Peter says, these ladies wish to show me their special island, <laughs> which I automatically assumed was their vagina. Well, yeah, and of course it <laughs> italicized special, their special island. Right. So I'm sure. And they also look completely naked. Yeah, they do. Are I was going to say. Are they topless? Is the, I the think panel they makes are. it look like they are. I think in the end of the book, or at the end of the trilogy, they're standing around on that roof and they're topless too. Like oh, okay. Still very, the panel plays at Austin Powers for him. Right, right. And covers up their nips. Okay, well, so then we uh, we end up with the, the Saron thing. Oh, hold on, sorry. Right. Let's go back really quickly. Because yeah. one thing I also found interesting, and I think this is something that they have retconned away. Okay. But he says when he's looking at her picture, he says that she was the the first person he ever really cared about. Yes, and they've alluded to that before in the previous issues. And right. But we've gone now, you know, 30 years later. Right. We know he'd had multiple serious loves in his right. life. Right. That would not, that, that that were, I would I would argue, were deeper and more much more important than Jean Grey. Right. Well, if anything... Uh, we're just going to be, be super spoiler here for a second. So if, you, if you're going through the old X-Men and trying to ignore current stuff, just skip ahead a few seconds. Because I would even say that Rose from the Origin series is really the archetype of why he falls in love with Gene anyway. Yeah, yeah. I would Which I think they that. did that on purpose. Right. Well, yeah, they're trying to explain the red, all his redhead fascination right, and all his, that. Right, his so. fetish. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, that yeah. in... Um, but yeah, Silver Fox. Silver Fox. Um, and we're... Who's the, the, the Japanese girl? Well, 
we're about to actually meet her in a few issues. Yeah. So. What's her name? I, can't. Uh, Mar- Mar- I always thought it was Mar- Mariko, but Mar- I'm, an, I'm an American. In the movie, they say Mariko. Mariko. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I was thinking no. Marusumi, but I know whether they're right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Mariko. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, but, but that's that's all retcon type stuff. But yeah. I thought that was interesting that they, they make... They're, they, I felt like they they were overplaying his relationship yeah. with her. Well, they did that. Remember when he went to see her in the hospital, and and the iron fist yeah. issue. I think it comes up again. So I mean, they're definitely laying the groundwork for this. This is the first time Wolverine's ever fallen for anybody, right? They've Which never... I think in in two th- in the two thousands, nineties, and two thousands that this w- would have come off creeperish. For him to fall so hard for someone, all the stuff he does is like, take it easy, buddy. You don't right. even really know her. Like you just met her, <laughs> but in the seventies, yeah, I guess it was. Oh, you know, there's still love at first sight. I think. Yeah. But, but his depth of devotion, I guess, yes. for someone who has a boyfriend. Well, he was stalking her apartment, <laughs> and he was stalking her apartment that yeah. time. I knew. I, I'm glad you came back because I forgot. I wanted to mention that uh, Wolverine seamstress. <laughs> he's sewing up his own uniform. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, he's been around a long time. Yeah. Pick up certain skills. <laughs> yep. So then S- Storm goes to uh, sneak a swim off where no one is around. Right. Which makes no sense considering they're in the Savage Land and they've already made a big deal out of if you drop your guard, you'll get attacked. Right. Like, why isn't some giant snake eater from the water? But, or some prehistoric crocodile like in that stupid yeah. blood surf movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Blood serve. <laughs> All right, so then Sauron gets her. He's holding her by the hair because he's misogynistic. <laughs> but um, yeah. So I think John Burns, Sauron looks pretty cool. What do you think? Um, yeah, I I hate Sauron as a character. Okay, Sauron, but but I the that is is as, as cool as I think he's ever looked. Yeah. I think I, I think he looks better in the next issue, even more so. But um, we'll yeah, get there I would soon. agree with that. Too. Right. Anything else you want to say about this one? Um, you think it's a worthy story of we of being the first one, first uncanny? I don't know. Okay. Ultimately, I think this ends up being a, a decent arc. Yeah. In in some ways, but the further there's good parts to this issue, but there's several weird parts. Right. So I. Yeah, I don't know. It's a little disappointing, I think, at from from a, from a looking back in our position to say, "Oh, this is the first uncanny." Let's read that story. Right. I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> <laughs> Some weird t- right. not wrap ups to the previous arcs, and then this Savage Land arc, which is you know has its has its good points, but it's right. overall just decent. All right. Well, I thought the art was great. Art is very good. Um, I agree. With I thought that. the story was pretty good. Um, all right, so when are you, when are you going to grade it? This is, uh, we're talking about Uncanny X-Men 114. Uh, I'll give it, I'll still give it two claws, I think. Okay. I, I'm actually going to give it three out of three claws, just for the, the drama between Cyclops and Wolverine and Jean was kind of enough for me, um, and the art, and, yeah. I, yeah that was a good right. story, good fun story, so... All right, so Cameron's going to give 114 two out of three claws. I'm going to give it three out of three claws. So let's, uh, let's move on to part two. All right, so next up we have Uncanny X-Men 115. All right. So in this case, we have Chris Claremont and John Byrne doing, I assume, all the same stuff they did before. Yeah, I think so. But instead they use the, 
the funny term Rebelies and Raconteurs. Yeah, Raconteurs. And then you have Terry Austin as the Illuminating Inker. <laughs> Rick Party as the Looney Rick Parker, excuse me, as the Looney Letterer. Friend Swall, I guess. Mooley as the crafty colorist. Oh. So anyway, that's the the crew. Um all right, so open up with the cover. We have Sauron's wingspan and then everyone kind of playing out in front of it with a another oversexualized storm laying on the floor with Wolverine attacking Colossus. What did you think of the cover? I love this cover. Yeah, I like it. I don't I, want to say I love it, but I like it. I like it a lot. I like how Sauron, like, in between his wings is all black. Yeah, I did like that. And I... I love John Burns Wolverine in action here, like Nightcrawler, the way he kind of fades into the wing. Yeah. But the colorist put like a slight line around his form so you can still see him. And Wolverine attacking Colossus. I I would actually say this is since we've started doing the flashback episodes, this is one of my favorite covers. Wow. So it's I It's a like, good cover. I like it a lot. I think the composition I'm kinda of so so on Saron. I think I probably like him more than you. I like I, just, I like the way John Byrne draws them, especially especially on this cover. Yeah, so. I, I like the more monsterish look that he's got on this cover. Right. I did I did feel like they they were trying to make it look like the bat symbol. A little bit, yeah. So I, I think, kind of that took away a little bit from me, just because it was like they're trying to look like a Batman. But I don't know that I they're really that. trying to do that. But that's what I kind of thought of it. But but yeah, I agree with you. The 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 action sequence the. The Wolverine, it's all it's all good stuff. Yeah. So you should uh, definitely Google it and check it out if you don't don't have it. Yeah, it's worth worth a check out. All, all right, right, so, so for, Visions of <coughs> Death. So Visions of Death. So as we, we pick up right where we left off with Sauron holding Storm's hair and the X Men basically showing up, which they're all in their costumes except Banshee and he's still naked, basically. Right. And I mean in his barbarian outfit, I guess. <laughs> So, Sauron, you know, has basically taken power, life force from Storm. Yes, he's like a... That's how he powers his... He's not a mutant, but whatever his power is, I guess. He is kind of a mutant, Is he a mutant? I don't know. I'm not sure how he does I don't really remember. He's it's, it's, it's like a science slash mutant thing. But anyway, yeah. he sucks up life force life to sustain force, himself. And that turns him into the pterodactyl, basically. Yes. Anyway, so he takes up some of hers. He says he's going to take up theirs. We go into a quick two-page uh, spread, which I think is a really good panel. It's, yeah, I love this panel a lot. Yeah. Wolverine's attacking Saron, and this is just John Byrne greatness. And yeah. And it's so 70s with the you know Storm still laying helpless with her mouth open. Wet, yeah. half in the water, half <laughs> yeah, out. She's, I mean, it's so, very, she's uh, super sexy looking. Right, right. You have Sauron, weird looking with a pistol. I so think he looks awesome. A pistol. I, mean, I don't know why he has awesome, a gun either. But, I guess just because his human form carried it around. Yeah. I mean, but, weird, but I mean, that's how I think he should be drawn. I mean, because the kind of creepy, almost bird-like. Because sometimes you see him and he looks like a cartoon dinosaur. Right. Like, so the way some people draw him. And it's not... I mean, I think he's kind of a. Again, I'm not a big fan of the character anyway. But, but when you when you have him, this is the way he should be drawn. Yes, this kind I of concur. more, bur, almost birdish, monsterish kind of feature. Yeah. Anyway, um, just a great, great shot of Wolverine. Yes. Yeah. 
It's amazing. And everybody else. I mean, even though Banshee's in the stupid caveman outfit. It's just <laughs> I like, a good, uh, good I like how Banshee took off his uniform and put on like a loincloth. And then like a fancy pants, like costume jewelry <laughs> necklace. Right. It's very strange. Yeah. Right, anyway, moving on with the Yeah, the so Wolverine attacks Sauron. Um, and Cyclops warns him not to. But Wolverine, of course, doesn't listen. Right. He attacks anyway. Sauron hypnotizes Wolverine. He's got some kind of stare thing where he yes. looks at him, and um, apparently it's something that would give um, Mesmero uh, put Mesmero to shame. Right. I think uh, Cyclops says that just to call back to the last couple issues. Yeah, yeah. Which they do make, make they make several callbacks. Yeah. Which I'll uh, a couple of those I'll mention later. But anyway, so yeah. <coughs> so um, anyway, so he basically hypnotizes Wolverine. And apparently Wolverine gets confused and begins to see... X-Demons. X-Demons, basically, yeah. yeah. So uh, Cyclops zaps him and he flies far away. Banshee tries to scream at him. Basically, they uh, they don't do very well against Sauron. Right. And then, of course, Wolverine complicates that because then he believes he sees some kind of monster attacking Jean Grey. Yeah, he thinks Sauron... He sees Jean Grey in Sauron's place. Right. And uh, Cyclops, so he attacks Cyclops, and anyway, Cyclops and Banshee do a, a, a double blast of Sauron, which I thought was kind of a cool yeah. image with the eye blast and the mouth blast, I guess. <laughs> that, that sounds weird, but yeah. um, hitting Sauron from both sides there. Um, Sauron flies off and then finds Colossus. Sauron's weakened by this point, so he's got to get more life force, finds Colossus. It's Colossus who's hanging out at the beach with his ladies. Oh, no, no, this is past that. He's, no, no, he's, he's rescuing, rescuing Storm, Storm now. Yeah. Um, but in this case, Cyclops is, or Cyclops, Colossus is able to uh, metalize. Metalize? Yeah. Is that a good? Yeah, sure. Whatever. Turn he, turns, he turns the steel and the mutation power overloads Sauron. Right, yeah. So over, Sauron basically collapses. Turns back into the uh, Lycos. What's his first name? Yeah, again? Carl Lycos. Carl Lycos, who's the the human form of Sauron. Right. And then Wolverine's about to kill him when Kazar, Lord of the Savage Land, Lord, shows up with his trusty saber toothed tiger, and they threaten Wolverine to leave Lycos alone. Wolverine basically says he's going to kill everybody. <laughs> Not really, but something to that effect. And then Cyclops shows up and. Reminds Kazar of who they are. So, now they're suddenly friends again. They go back to the village. Right. And we go... Basically, Kazar begins to tell the story of Sauron and what had been happening. And honestly, I got real confused. Hey, so basically... Let's just say we get a... I'll kind of go into this a little bit in a minute. Let's just for now say that... um. We get a flashback from the last time the X-Men fought Sauron. They thought he died because he fell off a cliff. Turns out it was a cliff of convenience and he landed just below it. And he kind of hikes his way down to the Savage Land where he heals himself mind and body. But he stumbles on a ritual where Kurt Monston is turned into the sun god Garok. And he attacks some city from, from some other story and warps it away and takes over the Savage Land. X-Men are going to help, but Cyclops says no. If we screw around, Magneto could go after Professor X. And Wolverine's like, I'm tired of bugging out. So, but Cyclops wins the argument, and Kazar is going to escort them out of the Savage Land, but we get a blizzard. Right. So, 
Where I got confused then is what does any of this have to do with Sauron? Because Sauron found the ritual. Right, but... Uh, he stumbled across it in the end of Jones' We style. don't get an explanation of why he attacks the X-Men. Oh, I, now? Yeah. Oh. That, to me, that's what the point of that was, to say, oh, Sauron, this is what had happened to you before. This is... You know, Carl Icos is explaining why he just attacked the X-Men and tried to steal their life force. So, but he doesn't explain that. He says what happened to him before, he tries to get away, has a some kind of spiritual experience where he decides he wants to be a good person now right. and not do any damage, but then he becomes bad again, but there's no explanation of that. When you think... So I got confused because I thought, well, maybe he's tied into this ritual. I don't think that you think... But he's not. I, I'm not saying this is a good explanation, but it's maybe a possible one. So tell me if you think maybe this is what's going on. Do you think maybe... Because it talks about how he gets more power from the X-Force, or not X-Force, from the X-Men because their life force with the mutation is stronger. Yeah. So so when he feeds on the X-Men or on mutants, it, it makes them stronger and more powerful. You think maybe sensing or smelling or whatever he does, that power, like, just he couldn't resist it? Like, like he was okay walking. Because it talks about how he, he survived by sucking the power of smaller animals in right. the jungle. So, like, oh, okay, I don't have to hurt humans. I'll just, you know, suck dry a bunch of lizards or whatever. So, maybe, you know, you're kind of like the classic, like, vampire story. Like, you can resist until someone gets cut, and then you go crazy. So, maybe, like, the X-Men super life force was kind of like someone getting cut, maybe? But... but- so, so in his human form, he also has to absorb life force? I think he needs it, yes, okay. to keep Saron at bay, right? I don't, I don't actually know. I thought the life force is what turned him into Saron. That's in, the, in the comic before, that's what it seems right, like. Right, but when it shows him walking through the desert, is that this issue or the next one? Yeah, it says, I still needed life energy to survive, but I took it only from the lesser animals around me. And he's in human form when he says that. Yeah. But they don't actually show it. So I, mean, but in I don't the previous, know. In the previous one, he turns into Sauron after taking the life force of Storm. In human form, he's made the decision to take life force from Storm. Now, right. maybe you're making the argument that... Well, I'm not like making the, the vampire argument. Saying, thing. Yeah, well, you're saying possibly. It's possible. kind of like a vampire thing where he smell, right. he can sense the power and that drives him crazy. Maybe right, it was just too much. He can turn down hum- regular humans. But to not. me, the point of the story was to explain that. His redemption. And it doesn't. It shows how he kind of gets redeemed, but how do we get from him living off the land and being one with nature to once again sucking people dry to become Sauron? Yeah. And then, how does he relate to all of this? He just shows up in the Savage Land. Yeah. And then he stumbles on all this, and then it becomes buddies with Kazar for some reason. Well, Kazar, yeah, Kazar finds him, and I don't, I don't know. Maybe it both. was weird. It was a bad transition. Is basically what it was. Yeah, it's, it's kind of rough. It's not. It's not as confusing as I thought it was. It's just a bad transition. So I got confused because I kept expecting different things out of it, and instead they just transitioned from one story to the plot. So I go, well, let's project the plot along here, right? With no real reason. So anyway, so yeah, so we have these these. Um, Zaladane, the high priestess who transitions that this one outlander, as they call him, who shows up. 
into this petrified man who believes he's the sun god Garok. Yeah. All right. So Garok comes from Astonishing Tales. Okay. Okay. He is the Savage Land sun god. Okay. Uh, that they actually worship. Mm-hmm. All right. So in back whenever this was, a random sailor uh, was got kind of washed up on the Savage Land somehow, and he found this temple. And he found a cup, and obviously he drank it. Because <laughs> what else are you going to do when you find a strange temple? You see with a, a cup, cup laying around, you need yeah. to drink it. Like, oh, this could be, uh, what's it, the, uh, what does Indiana Jones look for? The Holy Grail. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, so he drinks it and becomes immortal and believes himself to be Garak. But he's not. He's just this petrified man. But somehow he's defeated in some kind of magic pool. And he's turned to ash by the magic pool. And that's the ash that this priestess then rubs on this other uh, Kirk Marston's chest. And that ash from the original guy that thought he was a sun god when he really wasn't turns this guy into the petrified man. And he also thinks he's the sun god. Okay, so he's the same... But in this one, he seems to have a lot more power and actually almost be more godlike. Whereas the other story that I looked up, it seemed to be more like a delusional kind of thing. Yeah. Hmm. But So I can't really tell how much this petrified man is the sun god or whether he just thinks he is. I'm not real sure. Yeah. But I don't know. So Kazar, basically, when all this starts happening, they zap this city... From somewhere else. Right. Into the Savage Land. Right. And then the Sun God guy comes and zaps it away because he wants to have the Savage Land. Right. There's some other story. This this Magic City thing was from the Kazar series. Yeah, I thought it was funny that he had his own series. He did have it. Yeah, I thought it was too. And he's riding a flying shark. Yeah. Which I thought was weird. But very Space Ghost. I don't know. It's very Space Ghost, yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, so, and he's wielding a war against somebody else. There's all these different weird Savage Land stuff. But yeah, right. th- th- that's all. All the the muddled politics of the Savage right. Land. Right. So, and you get the feeling that the idea here is that you should be reading the Savage Land comic if you want to know any of any of the stuff they talk about in this right. this couple of panels. No, go read Kazar. Right. So, I'm not going to. So, I'm lost basically in what we're talking about here. <laughs> Kazar tries to talk the X Men into helping. Wolverine's ready to go, of course. Yeah. And it seems like all of the X-Men are ready to go, except Cyclops, who basically well, says they have to protect the Professor. Right. Magneto's still out there somewhere. They survive. So if he we survive, he must... Have, yeah. So they're about to leave, and then there's a blizzard. Yeah, and the, the their boats are frozen in the frozen lake. So right. They, they can't go anywhere. And the X-Men, for some reason... Aren't bothered by the fact that there's suddenly a blizzard. They're like, blizzards happen. Right. Nightcrawlers and Wolverine have a snowball fight. They, they try to have a snowball fight. Loser buys the beer. Right. And Kazar's like, no, you don't understand. We don't have winter here. Right. You see this? Dun, dun, dun. I don't yeah. have a coat. Yeah. It's like, you notice I never had a jacket at all? <laughs> yeah. Right. So then the idea here is that something that that Garok is doing or something that the petrified man is doing as Karak Garok is messing up the ecological balance that kept the savage land hot, even though it's in on or below Antarctica. <laughs> yes. Right. That's the idea. here. Yes. He's, he's disturbing the ecological balance. Right. Which is interesting because in the seventies, 
there were scientists who were talking about the next ice age coming, you know, the climate scientists and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which people now use to discredit global warming. I'm not trying right. to do that. But that's, right. that was in the 70s. That was a theory, that there was a new ice age coming. So I thought this kind of played into ice that, age that theory. <laughs> no, I got lost in Radiohead there for a second. Radiohead, okay. All right. All right, so we kind of already talked about the spread, so I won't focus too much more on that. I do like the way that we still get, like, the... The Wolverine, who's really anxious to fight, and just dives right in without really right. thinking about it. Just so jumps into it. That consistency of his character is pretty cool. All right, so Wolverine makes a comment of Saron about a, bar- a bargain basement Rodan. Did you remember who Rodan was? No, it was familiar, but I didn't. Yeah. I Googled it, and then immediately was like, oh, yeah. So Rodan is the giant... Pterosaur in the Godzilla movies that fought Godzilla. Oh, he was one of yeah. the giant Japanese monsters. Okay, yeah, yeah. I knew it was familiar. Yeah. And that would that would have been pretty popular at this yeah, point. Yeah, that would have hit in the late seventies. Yeah. So I thought the uh John Burns version of uh Saron's mind control looked really cool. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I also a little thought, green lantern looking, but but yeah. kinda cool. I also thought it looked like when Sarah was trying to make Wolverine see the X-Men, like he was going to break his neck. Right. It did look like that. I thought the X-Demons looked pretty sweet, especially Cyclops. Yeah. I really like Burns' kind of representation of that. I like how there's a part where um, when Cyclops starts to attack the X-Men, I'm sorry, when Wolverine starts to attack the X-Men, Cyclops is really mad at him, but he's also kind of scared of him. Yeah. I really like that. I thought that was a, a new wrinkle in their kind of rivalry that was really cool. Yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> I wrote, You already kind of said this, but that Saron makes Mesmero look like a chump, and he just schooled the X-Men. Yeah. Like, just a couple, a few issues ago, Mesmero completely defeated all the X-Men and, and enslaved them in his uh, circus. And if Saron's even stronger, the X-Men are in trouble. We get another brow as a Wolverine decapitates Nightcrawler. Yeah. For not letting him drown. Right. <laughs> That's how it says thank you. Oh, so I was wondering, I don't remember enough about Saron. Because Wolverine kind of springs into battle when he sees an illusion in Jean Grey. And basically he goes to fight for his love. Right. So, I understand that Saron made him see... Because he turned his head around to look at the X-Men. All right, here, I'm going to show you what I want you to see. Right. And he made the X-Men that were there look like demons that very much mirrored their own appearance. hmm So, does he make himself look like Jean Grey, or does Wolverine just see that? He's like, I kind of feel like he makes himself so that Wolverine will come to his aid. Yeah. But how does Saron know, A, that Wolverine has strong feelings for Sarah, but even if he's, or for Jean Grey, but even if he's able to sense that, he hasn't seen this version of Jean Grey, so how would he know to make Wolverine see that? Uh, It was a little, that was a little walk, he wasn't really sure how to to take that. Yeah, that's a little strange. I had uh, a couple little things. Okay. One, does Banshee not need the little wings to fly? I guess not. I guess not. I always thought that he did because they were gliders. Yeah. Like in the movie, you know, know, the the most recent X-Men First Class. Right. Where he used like a glider, whereas in this case he just 
flies through the air. He just flies, yeah. So I thought that was interesting. And then, so the overall thing I was just going to say that, that I find irritating about the Sauron is it, it seems, aside from the great spread we get, and the, 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 the backstory, I'm going to kind of say the same thing over and over again, basically. <laughs> but the backstory, the, the way, the, it makes Sauron into kind of a clumsy plot device to get from one place to the other place. Yeah, I know. Because he bet. has no real purpose. He shows up, it's right. a minor battle, he sucks their power, they defeat him, turns out he's a good guy when he's not juiced up on life force. Right, when he's not ruined raging. Right, yeah, <laughs> he's ruined raging. But so it has no real, I don't know, it was just a weird, what's the point of Sauron? I think the he's point is... He's a dinosaur, so he looks kind of like Savage Land, but he's not from the Savage Land. He looks cool, uh, John Byrne wanted to draw him. Yeah. He was in the Savage Land. Yeah. I mean, so there's a reason for him to be, I guess, called upon in this story. I really think they just wanted to show the fight. They, they wanted to draw and, and show the fight. Yeah. Really, it just doesn't make sense why he attacks them. Yeah, I'm not really sure either. It's unclear, and then it's like... And then he just disappears from the story. Right. So, I don't know. It's not like they never they don't do that all the time in comics, but, but it's right. just... I don't know. It was weird. It was played up like it was going to be a much bigger point to it, and it really had very little relevance except getting them to Kazar, who they could have easily met in the village. So I don't. Yeah, know. or just wandering the jungle. Right. I don't right. really know why why they needed that. Point I, I really. I don't think he was necessary. He was just there for fun. Yeah. But you know. So. But again, we got a great panel out of it. Oh yeah. Two page spread. So. Great panel and a great cover. So I'm okay. There you um, go. I thought that Wolverine tackling Cyclops looked pretty good. And I liked them uh, fighting each other, even if it's not Wolverine in his right mind. I thought seeing some actual like physical altercation to kind of the uh, headbutting they've been doing was, yeah. a, was a nice payoff. I like that Wolverine has him, pretty much. As yeah. a Wolverine fan, I'm glad that he kind of has yeah, the upper he's hand. He's got the upper hand there. Um, but he hesitates because he kind of breaks out of the spell and thinks to himself, well, wait a second. Genie's dead. Right. And so he kind of freezes. It's like he's half hypnotized. Right. Like it wasn't yeah. fully effective. Right. He hasn't looked in Saron's dreamy eyes in a long <laughs> enough time. Right. Um, but I also like that even though Cyclops gets a really nice optic blast that says Wolverine fighting, I kind of like that there's a caveat that you, you realize that Cyclops only gets his blow in because Wolverine hesitated, not because he was able to beat Wolverine. It's kind of a small distinction, but as a Wolverine fan, I really like that. Yeah, and since this is a Wolverine podcast, I right. think that's an important, yeah, that, yeah. that is an important distinction. Right. Um, you know, we get, we're getting Wolverine as more and more of the ultimate character. character. Yeah. The yeah. ultimate mutant. I mean, just the most powerful the least, uh, you know, anyway, the most destructive, all those things. Right. And even guys like Cyclops are, are recognizing, which I think, you know, you get all, you know, psychological on it all. Probably a lot of the roots of his fighting with Wolverine is the fact that he knows he can't control Wolverine. Right. In that he arguably, you know, maybe he believes he can control some of the other characters. Yeah. You know, in part, just in the fact that they've, they listen to him. 
right? As the leader, they do what right. he says. Wolverine doesn't. Right. And Cyclops knows that there's nothing he can really do about that except right. be mad and, and petty about it, <laughs> right. which is what he does. He makes full use of that option. Right. <laughs> but, but it's, you know, so it's, that's the thing. Wolverine is the, it puts him on, it's the, he's the, he's the outsider character. He's the ro- rogue. It's not the right word because we have a real rogue, but, right. but he's that, you know, he's that guy, a Ronin character, put it that way. It's yeah. Japanese reference there. But anyway, <clears throat> um, so yeah. So Sarah's flying away and he's, he's lost a lot of energy in his battle. And he says, I, it's drained most of the life force I absorbed from the black woman. I'm starting <laughs> to change that to Carl Likers. He says black woman two Several or times, times yeah. yeah. So, so I thought that was interesting. I don't think that there was any, like, ill intent in that. But since it, it does come up several times, and since Storm has been made really sexy, I well, I guess let's talk about their intention and let's talk about the way it comes off. Do you think Storm being kind of made like overly attractive and kind of almost like the perfect John Byrne woman in these issues, do you think it's empowering on her behalf? Or do you think it's almost belittling as far as far as her being a character of like a minority, well, or do you think that's even a question worth asking? No, I think it's definitely a question worth asking. Um, a lot of people would probably would disagree, but I think it is. I don't. I can't. It's hard to speak for John Byrne's intention. Right. I don't think. I think he was just trying to draw sexy girls. Right. He's drawing sexy girls, and it's the seventies, right? Right. From from his late seventies sensibility. Then again, post women's rights movement. Right. You know, you have the Equal Rights Amendment. Just got voted down, but at least it's been a debate for a long right. time. You know, I think that it shows kind of the the, you, the continued kind of position of women in, in American society. So I don't think John Byrne's trying to say anything about it. Right. I think, from my 21st century perspective, being a tad postmodern and, you know, an academic and all those weird things that I am, right. I think it is very misogynistic and not racist necessarily, but it okay. is a bit demeaning, I think. Right. Well, I was kind of torn because I felt like on one hand, he's saying almost kind of like, like raising her up and saying that, see, she's just as hot as Jean, the white girl over here, the hot kind of, who's been like the object of desire for X-Men people or whatever. And so he's kind of making her equal. But I think also in a way though, because Jean was always... I guess attractive, but in a very almost formal, classy kind Girl of way. Next door, kind of. Right, like she was never really until John Byrne comes along. <laughs> never really right. drawn really sexy, and so I don't know. So I think kind of on the other hand. But no one falls in love with Storm. Well, Colossus kind of has a crush on her. He has, yeah. They I don't guess... really develop it very much, and it goes away fairly quickly. Yeah, but. To me, that what what happens here is much more akin to like a black exploitation film, right? Movies, and right? that's kind so of what I was. Wondering. It's not in a way it puts her on par, maybe with Jean Grey, but it, it's but in the fact that they're both still rungs down of being kind of sex objects, right? In the way that that is portrayed here, and especially in the fact that Storm doesn't do anything in this issue, right? It'd be different <laughs> if you had a scene where she, you know, where she she fights somebody and you have a you know badass scene where she pulls the weather and does something awesome, right. and then you have this kind of more 
the lost woman scene, but you don't have any of that in this story, right? Nor in the story before. A blizzard comes and Storm can't do anything about it at the end. You know, it's kind of weird. Also weird. But I have, we'll talk about that more in the next one. Yes, um, but so yeah, so she's she's devoid of any kind of power in this whole issue, and right. all she does, which is, is too bad because they've really been building her power up. I thought before this issue. So so I, so my argument that I would say it seems to me, and again, intention, I have no idea. But to me, it seems like they've taken her, they've scaled her character back right. in order to make her more sexy. They took oh, her, they so made think, her less powerful. Think, okay. So I mean, think, just the fact, that whole idea of her laying on the beach, right. being attacked, and then you have that scene where a, a great fight sequence is going on and she's laying on the floor with her mouth wide open. <laughs> right. Right, completely The sexy wet. mouth, yeah. Right, it's like, okay, there's a, there's a, Again, he's just trying to make a sexy character, but looking right. at the the message, I guess you get long term later on. Right. To me, they've he took away her power. I mean, took it away, but he reduced her the visibility of her power to enhance the sexuality of it, which okay. I think is very, again, seventies, sixties, and seventies, an idea of, of men being afraid of powerful women. I right. guess. Okay. You know, I'm probably way over. Well, overplaying I, all of that, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I definitely feel like Claremont and Byrne probably had the intention of writing. I mean, they they go to great lengths before and after this to really try to make strong female characters, right? They do and to undo kind of the golden age of comics, or, right. even, or even really the silver age, because I guess now we're technically in the seventies. Uh, is that the bronze age of comics? Is that? I guess so. Yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah, well, I, th- I would say that I, I think it, it it shows that they're just dudes from the 70s. Right. Right. So so in in their way, they are trying to enhance these female characters. Right. So you get both sides of that, right? A, a power enhancement, a more important to the storyline character. But with that, maybe to balance that out, you could argue, making them more sexualized, right. more sexy. And some of that project has to do with comics code also. Yeah. Um, but so that, you know, it's not like the golden age where women are, are worthless and helpless. And they, they only serve the plot as damsels in distress. Right. right. So that men can step in and save them with the exception of like Wonder Woman. But right. so you, you definitely got beyond that, but, but you still have kind of this idea of, of ramping both sides of that up, which again, I'm not saying I disagree with it or that it's wrong or anything. I just, it, it's interesting. I think, yeah. I guess. All right. Cool. I like how, uh, kind of moving on a little bit. Um, if you don't, if I skip anything else you want to talk about, just stop me. But kind of when Kazar shows up, I like that Wolverine calls him Blondie. <laughs> and yeah. he kind of sticks with that to the rest of the arc. Uh, calls him Blondie the whole time. And he keeps calling Zabu Pussycat. Yeah, and that was I thought funny. that was really funny. I automatically thought of Tom Jones. <laughs> What's new, Pussycat? That's more, in this, that's more in the next issue, though, isn't it? Well, when he calls him here, he goes... Or does he refer to her? Since he's your buddy, I'll be glad to take on you and your Pussycat, oh, yeah, too. Yeah, and, then, yeah, yeah. and then he sticks with that in the next... Calling her, calling the, the cat and stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty funny. All right, so then we... Uh, I think I already talked about the ledge of convenience when uh, Carl Lycos falls off the ledge and lands on another one. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of the the drawing of the petrified man? What do you think of his appearance? It's kind of cool. It looks very zombie-ish. 
Yes, it does. To me. Yeah. Unless, it's not that, it's almost like he's like a zombie Clint Eastwood is what he looks like to me. <laughs> okay. Because the way his mouth, the, 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 the grin he has looks like Clint Eastwood to me. I don't know. It's okay. It's kind of cool. Oh, I know that one pretty I'm cool. Not a, you know, the, the stringy hair is odd. It was kind of Walking Dead, but or Mummy maybe, yeah, more than Zombie. Which I guess that is a Mummy is a petrified person, so I guess that makes sense. Although it's not clear, they talk about him like he's a rock. Yeah, yeah, they do. But he's petrified man, which I guess would make him kind of like rock. Well, yeah, because he has a petrified force. That's yeah, pretty I mean, hard. It's, it's, I guess the idea is he's a human that has been petrified. Right. <laughs> yeah. So Kazar goes all Captain Obvious. He says that when the uh, the flying sharks disappear, having no wings myself, I <laughs> fell. Really? Did Which you now? Thank you for that. Kazar. And why did the sharks disappear? Because they went away with the the other city. They were part. They came with that, and so they left with it too. Okay. So so he's attacking the city with. They're sharks. Well, I don't know if everything that came through the dimensional rift was bad or whatever, so... Oh, that's right, because he talks about those other people who also came through. Yeah. Okay. Don't, don't some of them stick around? Yeah. Yeah, I don't I know. I think so. I don't know. I don't know who's who, so I don't... It's very confusing. I you want to read The Savage Land? No. <laughs> Not going to happen. That'll be your next podcast. Yeah, Kazar. The whole whole series. Please don't do that. <laughs> But Banshee gives a thumbs up and has this little hobbit pipe. Yeah. Little corn cob And Wolverine gets his claws out and says, all right, let's go. Let's do this. And that's when Scott comes in and poo-poos it. Yeah. And they argue about ideologies. I like how, I do think, even though it was silly, the, uh, the snowball fight kind of progresses and advances kind of the deep friendship between Nightcrawler and Wolverine. Yeah. So... It's very inappropriate to this the scenario. Story. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. even um, if they can't get back with the boats, they know there's a whole war brewing with the Khazar people. Right. So it's okay. Let's have a snowball fight. All right. Anything else you want to hit in that one? Some, you got to get levity when you can get it, I guess. That's right. Yeah. No, I think, I'm, I think that's everything I had for that one. All right. So I thought the art was uh, pretty flipping amazing in this book. Very good. You just kind of burn at his uh, apex, at his peak. The story, uh, the middle part, some of the flashback stuff, I got a little lost on. I actually thought it was pretty good. Kind of had like an old, pulpy Indiana Jones feel to it. Um, it's just as far as like high adventure. Not quite as much as the next one, but we'll we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, what did you think overall? Uh, when I first read it... The first pass through, I probably would have given it a one because I was confused and I was irritated at kind of the, the like I said, this, the, the pointlessness of the Sauron story. Reviewing it again, I, it's better than I think I first, than first passing. I think I'll still probably stick with the two claw because again, I, the explanation is strange and the petri- the whole thing with the petrified man and the warping in another city and stuff, I, it just... It's not so much bad as it's just not compelling to me right. personally. So to me, I, I just don't, I don't, I didn't find much of this episode, much of this issue very interesting. I saw, mm-hmm. you know, a few points that were interesting, you know, great art, obviously, 
incredible panel the beginning. So, you know, I mean, I don't know, that Savage Land again, you already said I'm not a huge fan right. of Savage Land. So it's it's not all that compelling to me, but it's there's enough things in here that are good enough that I will, I'll still give it a two, I think. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna give uh Uncanny X Men one fifteen three out of three claws. I agree with you, the middle part's kinda weak, the flashback stuff, but I just I love the art. I just I really liked seeing Cyclops and Wolverine duke it out, even though it wasn't Wolverine in his right mind or whatever. I just, it's really I'm, just one panel though, two it, frames. I mean, yeah, but they do it twice because there's a time. Well, that's true. Where Cyclops zaps him into the pond, and there's a time where they fight again, and I don't know. I just I agree it's silly, but I thought it was silly in the right way. I guess for me. Yeah. It's, it's a very entertaining read. I had a lot of fun with it. So, and I'm definitely borderline. Like, I didn't like it. I thought it was a weaker of the three. So it's probably a soft three, but I'm going to go ahead and give it three out of three claws. So 115, Cameron gives two out of three claws. Jason gives three out of three claws. All right, so let's, uh, let's go to the last one. Okay, so the last part of the Savage Land trilogy is going to be Uncanny X-Men 116. This is plotted same same kind of same way, plotted by Chris Claremont and John Byrne, scripted by Chris Claremont, pencils by John Byrne, inks by Terry Austin, letters uh, is the original letter Tom Orzechowski again? Yeah. Okay. And colors by Glennis Wine. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. So our cover is also by Byrne and Austin. And we have the uh, sun god raising his arms in triumph and yelling at the X-Men who were tied to, I guess, kind of a stake. There's some fire around them. We have Kazar, Colossus, and Banshee has a, a thing over his mouth so he can't scream. And Colossus is either reflecting the fire or, like, his metal's getting hot. Yeah. I would assume the metal hot, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Which I guess is kind of a catch-22 for Colossus. Yeah. If you turn the metal off, you burn. If you leave the metal on, you possibly melt. Yeah, that's true. So, anyway, what do you think of this cover? It's okay. I, I don't know. I, I, like, I, like the, I like the... I like Colossus and Banshee. Yes. The obelisk. I like the fire. Kazar looks like a woman. He does look like very He's much very like a girl. Very woman haircut. Yeah. And then the sun god is so skinny. <laughs> he looks like a stick man. Yes, he does. So it's not, I don't know. It's a tale of two covers for sure. Yeah, but, um, but oh, I mean, overall, it's a good cover. Yeah, and the color is really good on it. The color is really good. I like that kind of two-tone of Colossus's face where it's kind of yeah. blue in parts but red in other parts as yeah, it's heating it up. Yeah, pretty sweet. All right, so basically this is to save the savage land. I mean, part three of our little uh, self-described Savage Land trilogy. Basically, this, the the where we left off with the the winner, the the Savage Land winner is getting worse, and the Sun God City is upsetting the eco balance of the Savage Land. The X Men are going to approach the city to try to take care of business. They're uh, attacked and pretty much whooped up on by the Savage Land Air Force. And they're all captured except for Wolverine, Storm, Nightcrawler, and Zabu. And they're going to go on to rescue their teammates. 
So uh, they sneak in the base through the sewer and find the X-Men, but oh no, they're about to be executed. Uh, so Nightcrawler te- teleports down to free Cyclops, who uses his optic blast to free the other X-Men. There's a lot of chaos. Sun God tries to escape. Cyclops runs after him. And the city is over what is called a geothermal heat sink. This is basically plugging the tropical weather so it cannot warm the savage land, but it's also powering the city. So while the city gets stronger, the savage land outside starts to succumb to the Arctic weather around it. Cyclops confronts the sun god. They have an optic blast off. But somehow this causes the whole base to crumble. And hole opens all the way to the center of the earth. And the, everyone starts to fall in. The X-Men escape. But Cyclops and the sun god who are on top of the dome begin to fall to middle of the earth. Banshee comes in to save Cyclops once again. Noticing a trend here. And Storm goes after Garrock to save the sun god. But she gets a claustrophobic panic. Hesitates for just a moment. And loses him. When all the X-Men escape outside. Storm just barely gets out. The whole sun god city falls into the center of the earth. And the X-Men go home. But they get caught in a storm at sea. And that's where we leave off. Yep. A cliffhanger to end this little trilogy. Alright, so point out again. I really like this title page. With to save the savage land, like big snowy letters yeah. carved into the mountainside. They're climbing up the side of the mountain. I love looks, those. It looks good really panel. cool. The way Kazar's boot is flapping, it looks like uh, Zabu, the saber toothed cat, is wearing underwear. <laughs> it does. So I really enjoy this. We open up on page two and three to an awesome two page spread. I'm going to give a lot of credit. A lot of this is the inking. By Austin, but I think this yeah. base looks really cool. It is really cool. I my only criticism of it, and it's not really a fair criticism, but I'm gonna say the it anyway. star um, on top of no, the dome. No, no, that's oh. okay. Astros Stadium, but yeah, the Astrodome. I, yeah, but uh, is that this this two page spread looks just like yes, the, the Magneto. Oh. Okay. And the Magneto. One, it also but, looks like a lot like the Magneto <laughs> base under the volcano. Yeah. But I was thinking of the, the, the Shi'ar one, where they show up and they see the Shi'ar Yes, base. okay. So, so John Byrne will have to learn to um, put some variety in his Very evil bases. Yeah, yeah, and, the, you know, it's just a base. So it's not anything particularly distinguishing about it. They kind of right. look similar, and they're kind of coming up in this bottom corner and overlooking it from a side. Right, summit. yeah. Yeah, it is it's pretty, all pretty yeah, similar. But, you're right. again, I mean, that kind of stuff happens all the time. So it's not really a, it's not a real criticism. It's more of a humorous... Right. Humorous notice. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Cool. Um, I like how uh, Nightcrawler teleports up to the pterosaurs when they attack yeah. to, to punch the pilot. So I like when um, everyone gets captured and uh, Wolverine, we get a new power. Yeah. Wolverine can talk to animals. <laughs> but I didn't think it was interesting that Wolverine's like, hey, we need you. He basically sends them off like Lassie. Right. To go find Timmy. Right. You know, and he basically tells them, go tell the guys where we are. What I thought was interesting about it is it wasn't quite clear 
is he talking to this cat or is the cat just that smart and then he understands like in a lastie situation like he right right i get the feeling until but until nightcrawler comes up right and says wolverine were you really talking with that tiger he's like yep yeah so i so i thought so either he's just giving nightcrawler a hard time like, well, yeah, obviously I was right. talking to the cat. See, I don't know. He really can. I get I, I get the feeling that maybe the, they had planned on At this point in time, I, yeah. I, <laughs> one of his powers would be the ability to talk to animals. <laughs> yes, I, didn't think, I forgot about Dr. Doolittle. But yeah. he hasn't talked to any other animals ever. Right. As far as we know. So it was a weird, a weird reveal. If that was supposed to be a power he was going to have. Right. Why this animal at this point? Oh, yeah, because Zabu's cool. He's a saber-toothed tiger. He is cool. And from the saber-toothed one we did, it's the ultimate fighting machine. <laughs> I was, I was going <laughs> to say that, which makes it seem weird that they were sending him off. Right, if he's like, the here ultimate. Here we have saber-toothed tiger, the ultimate killing machine. Ultimate killing quote. machine. Yeah, and Wolverine's like, all right, go get our friends. So they got to sneak up, and right. saber-toothed tigers sticks out don't like know how to sneak stuff. up. Especially in the savage land right. where, you know, they're indigenous. Exactly. And they make all their, they live by sneaking up on animals and killing them. Right. So, I do want to go, I do want to go back one page, just kind of show some of Wolverine's temperament. After all the X-Men get captured and the pterodactyls fly off, Wolverine cuts his claws in the air like after them. Yeah. Like, I'll get you guys. Yeah, that's funny. That's, um, that's Wolverine's version of shaking your fist at the sky. Right, right. <laughs> Dad, come it. <laughs> All right, so then we also get Wolverine's first official kill. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, they talk about him being a killer all the time. Like right. That's part of his personality. But we get his first published I'll say human kill, kill of a human. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say. He's killed aliens and monsters and stuff. And that, that dinosaur, the last, yeah, last right. issue. I mean, this is the first time he kills a human being. Yeah. So. Unless it, you're going to say savage when people aren't humans. And you're just racist. Which you would. You tweeted about it. <laughs> yes. No. So <clears throat> I thought that was an interesting scene because they seem really shocked. Yes, they do. But. Wolverine just kills this dude. Right. And it is worth noting it's off panel. It is off so panel. So we'll celebrate again later when we actually see him. So it's not all somebody. bloody, but... Right. It's still... It's it's interesting that either... The question is, had he never killed anybody before? Not in the presence I mean, in of front the of them. I don't think so. But if Wolverine is someone who just kills, which as we'll see normally, he kills right. all the time now... Why wouldn't he have killed anybody up to this point yet? Of all this time on the team, had there never been another moment when he needed to kill somebody? I guess not. I guess not. But I just thought it was interesting in that they're they're shocked. Storm looks horrified. Yeah, Nightcrawler does too. Nightcrawler looks surprised. Yeah. And Wolverine's just, you know, whatever. Very casual. It's my kind of caper, he says. Exactly. I think he's relieved to finally get to kill somebody. I think so, too. I thought... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, although it's just kind of... It's sad that it's just this dude who's just a guard. (laughs) Right. This guy, he's just doing his job. He's just hanging out. Yeah. But he gets killed. Yeah. So, something... Nothing in particular, but I guess just the tone. 
of them sneaking in through the sewer to rescue their friends reminds me of Star Wars. Yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's like the trash dump scene. Yeah, it it I, I kind of got that, that kind too. of feel of it. Like I got that too. And there's you know there's been a lot of movies where people yeah I'm sewers, sure but yeah but yeah I I also re- thought about the Star Wars trash sequence too. Yeah. Right, so we got Wolverine talking to animals. Yep. We get a second new power in this issue where <laughs> Wolverine's pointing Nightcrawler where to go. And he gets bit by a dinosaur. Dinosaur bites his hand. And he pulls the dinosaur up with his hand. And he's bleeding, obviously. And he snicks his claws inside the dinosaur's mouth, which I thought was freaking badass. That was. Although, yeah. they didn't pop out the back of the dinosaur's head. No, I guess his head was too long. Which, nowadays, it would have. Oh, yeah, definitely. But in this panel, somehow. But it's not. I mean, it's a small dinosaur head. Right. But, you know. And uh, so the dinosaur lets go, and Storm's very concerned. <laughs> I like how when Wolverine explains this new power we're about to see, and he does it with super Wolverine attitude. Yeah. He's like, not so as you notice. <laughs> it's okay, babe. I heal real fast. And the critter ain't been born that can break my bones. Yep. And we're just short of what we know about the bones. Yeah. Long term. Which they've already alluded to the fact that he seemed unbreakable. Right. Several times. But this is the first time we have a, I guess, an admittance. Right. Or confirmation, we'll say. Right, that his bones can't be broken. And And we find out the healing factor. Yeah. So this is the first time that is um, confirmed or stated. Which is a big thing. Yeah, and we're four years in. Four years in, and we we forget the first... Appearance, I guess, of yeah. the healing factor, basically. Yeah. Which again, they've made, they've alluded to him not being hurt and not, you know, being able to do things that other people couldn't do. There was one, right. one issue where he fell or something really far and was fine. Or flew into space and then it flew died. into space, yeah, right. all that kind of stuff. So by this point, you would think the readers would be getting the idea that he's a bit indestructible, indestructible. Yeah, he's definitely tough as nails. But, but lots of superheroes are indestructible in different ways. So right. this, this is interesting in that. They they specify right. He's not just an indestructible guy. He specifically heals fast. Right. So he gets hurt. Yeah. Which is interesting, right? It's not like Luke Cage or Superman or whatever. It's like right. so they don't get hurt, impenetrable. He actually gets hurt. He gets cut. He gets damaged. Yeah. He oh, bleeds. he's obviously bleeding when the dinosaur bites right. him. Like you see blood running down his glove. Exactly. But he heals. So that that makes it unique. I mean, I'm sure there are other characters who have similar things, but it makes it somewhat unique. Yeah. On your original, is there blood on the claws when he pulls it out? Uh, it looks like it. Okay. So that's another first. First let time me, we actually... Let me zoom in real quick to All kind right. of see if that's... Um, kind of. It's not... You could argue that that's probably blood that's safe enough for the comics code because it's not okay. exactly yeah, blood, it's but not it's red, probably but supposed to be. I'm going to count it. Yeah, I, I would too. Say it's our first first time we get blood on Wolverine's claws. Yeah. So, so Wolverine's uh, stepping up this issue. Yes. Kills there. somebody, has a healing factor, talks to animals. We see blood on the claws. A lot going on. Mm-hmm. All right, so then Storm uses a wind tunnel to blow the dinosaurs away. Again. Again. Yeah, which 
I'll just mention here, and then I won't mention it later. Okay. This is the first time, and there's two different times where, in this issue, where they they reference an old battle. Right. And that they're using the same tactics from that battle in order to win this battle. Well, I think we're trying to show that they're learning and yeah. coming together as a team. I think that's kind of the point of that. Yeah. It, Showing their experience. You do and, want to see new tricks at some point. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, and I don't have a problem with it. I just thought it was interesting. I guess it just caught my eye. Because two different times, like in that case, she says, these tunnels are like the ones at the Valhalla one, so I bet right. I can do the same thing and get the same result. Right. And it works, so that's fine. Yeah, it and then another time they do that with same X Men with the Magneto's lab. Right. But anyway, it's just it was it's an interesting you know, seventies over explaining is what it is. Right. Really, yeah, really definitely. More than anything, probably. I, I think it's funny in, in the days of Jerry World to look back and think of a time when the Superdome was the biggest structure or stadium <laughs> they could compare this base to. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, that was funny. That is funny. All right, so Hot Colossus looks cool. Just like on the cover, it looks really sweet. Yeah. And the orangey like coloring and all that just looks really, really cool. I thought it was interesting because I never noticed before. Maybe you can remember or tell me this is a new thing. When Banshee screams to break the spear, his whole body vibrates. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you recollect that happening before? I don't think so. They usually do like a beam out of his mouth. Right. Okay. I it, it felt new to me, yeah. but I couldn't remember for sure. Uh, yeah, I think so. So if anybody has a time where they know for sure that happened, like either before Wolverine came along, like in the old X-Men stuff, or after, and we just d- forgot about it, Yeah. Uh, feel free to remind us. But I feel like it's a new thing. I think so. so. It's pretty cool looking. Yeah, I like it. And so then... um. Colossus wants to take any uh, gray out of the issue. He says, um, save your concern for these slayers of old people and children. (laughs) They're not just bad guys. They're really bad guys. They get whatever they got coming. Right. Um, I like how Cyclops just thought he's been training and he's in (laughs) good shape. Like, man, I sure am winning running up these stairs. Yeah. I thought even a little bit before that, when Cyclops realizes that they'd forgotten about him. I thought that's kind of funny. Oh, yeah. Where they free they free Cycl- or, uh, Colossus and Banshee. Then Cl- Cyclops says, oh, in the confusion, everyone's forgotten about me. <laughs> <laughs> so then he shouts at Storm. Anyway, yeah, he gets winded running up the stairs. I thought that was pretty funny, too. Right, so, so he's chasing the sun god onto this dome on the roof. Right. He says it's too far to risk an optic blast. Yeah. What's the risk? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's like, not clear. Like if his blast doesn't reach, okay, what really happens? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, is he, does he does he feel like he's surprising this guy? Like, is that what he's worried about? <laughs> like, he'll give away that he's following him? Maybe he's worried it'll blow a hole in the dome and could hurt other people, maybe? Maybe. I don't know. I thought that was weird. That was a little weird. The risk is weird. It's like, I can understand, say, well, it's too far. It's not going to reach. Right. What's the risk? Yeah. yeah. It's a weird, weird way to look at Interesting. it. Interesting. <laughs> I also think it's weird that the the petrified guy powers up. In his little sun chamber or whatever? Yeah. I guess, yeah. again, because I don't really understand the... What's the connection with a petrified man and a sun god, and now we have this 
He's the he's supposed, he's supposed to or to believe anyway that he's the embodiment of the same right. God. But what does that have to do with petrification? I don't because it burned up his skin into rock. I don't, I don't think that's how petrification works. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I guess again going back to why they he's, decided to go with petrified man. Right. What what he's what's the connection in. there? Right. Yeah. I don't know. And how does that? What powers? What does no, but but it doesn't really matter, Cameron, because if you keep questioning him, you're going to reap the whirlwind. <laughs> I'm going to okay? reap the whirlwind. <laughs> yeah, I've made a mistake. Oh, you know what we didn't talk about what? is the his whole plan. We'll come back to that. Uh, okay. Yeah. We should probably say a little something about the point of what he's trying to do. <laughs> I guess it so. Because it's so dumb. <laughs> it deserves getting mentioned, I think. Okay, remember that. We'll come back to okay. that around the end. Uh, so here's where we get our uh, optic blast off. Um, <laughs> and Banshee saves. Oh, we are talking about that. I already said that on a summary. Um, when did Banshee get back in his costume? He has been for a while, but I just noticed it. I, I'm guessing the Sun God had an extra one laying around and dressed him up. Yes. To, I guess maybe when they when they were leaving. So never mind. When they were leaving uh, yeah, in the well, last issue, he put his right. costume back on. Yeah. You've yeah. got to go home in your own duds. Yeah, exactly. You like want to pull a Wolverine and take your alien clothes <laughs> home with you. Yeah. Yeah, we get some, just some really big Wolverine issue here. We get some really good depth into him, and he's the one that understands what's wrong with Storm. Like, everybody's like, oh, where's Storm going? Why is she going all the way over there? And Wolverine's like, because she went in there to save somebody, and she came back by herself. Right. Like, it's going to tear her up. I think that, A, plays into Wolverine's background as, like, a soldier. And like, kind of the, the soldier code of honor. Like, you know, when you go on a rescue mission, you expect to accomplish it. Right. You know, I think it also just, it, it's really funny that in the same issue where we finally see him kill somebody, we get more insight into how he's really not that much of a killer after. Like, like he still has a very strong human side. And yeah. it's funny that, that those both get played up really high in this issue. But that's also, I think, kind of quintessential Wolverine. Yeah. Kind of the one next to the other. Right. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's a good... For for Wolverine, I think it's a good uh, insight into his character. I thought this, the her trying to save that guy was a little odd connecting to what you just said about how we have this guard... Just some dude who gets killed. Right. And they're like, ooh, can't believe you did that. And that's it. And then we have the bad guy who's killed all these people and is trying to do all these horrible things. And we have this elaborate, intense rescue operation. Right. And then a lot of real sadness about not rescuing him. Which I, I don't know why I find this so weird. But it's just like, that was the bad guy who caused all this. So why do we have more effort to save him more disappointment that he's not saved than for this guard who just gets killed and they keep walking and it's, it seems like it's all that big of a deal i mean they're surprised at wolverine for killing him but it's more it you, seemed more you think about it's because the mission is over and they didn't have time to make a big deal about it when they're trying to rescue their friends but now that i think it's just that guards and foot soldiers get killed all the time in yeah comics they're, they're and disposable Cannon yeah and pawns basically yeah. But I just, I guess, from my perspective, I, I thought it was interesting. Because they make such a big deal of her being sad about not saving that guy. Right. I thought it was interesting. 
since it's the same issue. But your yeah. thing is much better than mine. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. I do. Th- I will say that her attempt to rescue him looks really cool. It does. It is a very cool looking rescue. Like especially operation. with all the black in it. It just looks really nice. Yeah. And and I guess at the same time then, so to, to add more to that, in the same way that, that the, the dualism of Wolverine's character, her effort to save this guy is interesting for her character. Because she's... Right. Clearly, the most bothered by Wolverine killing that guy, right? Because she has his face look; she's about to puke. <laughs> yes. Although I don't know. Well, that was because it was the ferocity of a of a serin, well, what, some kind of African cat, like the great cats on the veldt. Oh yeah, but anyway, but yeah, but that's a that is a great kind of rescue scene, and then she kills him, and then she seems really bothered. Not right. she kill it, but he dies. She seems really sad about it. But as much as I like Wolverine kind of getting it, I think it's kind of weird the Banshee doesn't at all. Right. Having his Interpol background and stuff, you think he would be a little more intuitive. And how does the boat get him out of the Savage Land? It's not, it can't be underground. Yeah. It's got to be. It must be like the idea is it that maybe it's surrounded by a mountain range. Yeah, I think that's what it is. In that, but satellites don't see it maybe because of clouds or something I don't yeah know. i don't know anyway i like um optic blast as motorboat yeah i thought that was interesting <laughs> which we talked a couple of episodes back maybe about what if cyclops's blasts were <laughs> concussive blasts at this time or not I think so. I and think this suggests that they are. I think right? they're meant to yeah. be. Yeah. So I thought those interesting. Every now and then someone plays fast and loose and makes it like a laser beam. Yeah. I think for the most part it's concussive. It t- yeah, it tends to knock people back or around. So I thought it was interesting that. Carl Ico shows back up to tell him goodbye and yeah. say he's going to stay there. They go through a cave to get out, like a tunnel. Yeah. Well, it makes me wonder. Maybe it's under this mountain. Maybe there's the idea is there's a mountain range right. that surrounds it, right. and then there's a, there's a passageway underneath <clears throat> it. You can get through it, and then it brings. But then, where does it put you out? I don't. I don't know. So, is Storm just not strong enough to control this big of weather yet? Is that? I don't know. Because this is twice question. in two issues. Well, we've ended the issue with Storm, who can create weather, has not been able to stop or change weather. Yeah. I'm wondering, is that something she hasn't learned to do as far as, like, she can make stuff, but she can't change existing stuff? Or is it just a matter of magnitude? Like, both of these things have been pretty massive. Yeah. Like, a pretty massive blizzard and a pretty massive storm here. So Yeah, that's a good question. I, I thought about that, too. I I guess maybe, maybe you, I think you're probably right with this idea of magnitude and that she can create storms but it's within her general vicinity right when she whenever she creates storms it's never right. like she blocks out a whole city i mean it's right. like so she's not moment. strong enough to like tap into the weather yeah. patterns of the whole planet or whatever right and, which and, she will eventually grow to do yeah so yeah i think that's that's probably the best explanation right then it's just lack of training yeah lack of training or not uncovering a power right the the extent of her power i guess Okay, anything else you want to say in this one? Um, I did want to say a little bit about, I don't know, maybe maybe it's not even worth talking about the the, the point of, of what the oh, yeah, okay. tribe man is trying to do. Real fast before we get to that. I did think it was funny that Cyclops comes around again to, we need to hurry, 
because Magneto might be after Professor X. But then it says a fortnight later. <laughs> is that that's twenty days, right? Is that what a fortnight I is? Think or so. fourteen? Fortnight is like a fourteen days. Two weeks. Two weeks, yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> if Magneto hasn't caught up and killed Professor <laughs> X in two weeks, in the midst of all this. he's not going to. He's yeah. he's doing something else. That's a good that's a good point. Yeah, why did they go with Fortnite? I guess just they're trying to sound fancy. Yeah, they're try- yeah, I think so. Claremont said that's a big word. <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah, all right, so the Sun God's plan was basically to build a city over this thermal pocket and basically use thermal energy to power a city. And he knew, I guess he knew that would kill the Savage Land. And so anybody that wanted to survive basically had to come live in the city under his rule, under the guise that everybody would live together in peace. All the right. different peoples of the Savage Land would come together and he would rule them in a glorious age of the sun god. Right. Don't leave anything out? No. Except that anyone who disagrees wouldn't live in peace or disagreed, he would then kill them. Right. So peace by extreme brutality. Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess is what all the dictators in the world have all... Yeah, yeah, it's pretty classic. Every every dictator has ever always said. I I don't know if that was even worth going back to, but I just thought... No, it was. was, It's definitely a plot point and can't really understand the villain unless you know what his story is. Yeah. So. Right? Anything else? I feel like there's a lot missing to this story. I, and not not that I mean? want it not that I want four more issues or you know, a double <laughs> arc out of this or anything, but and maybe this goes back to why the Sauron stuff is odd. Because it's like that you have the whole Sauron thing and then it didn't doesn't really give them the time to develop the petrified man thing. So he's killing people, and like you said, they mentioned women and children being there right. in a reference. I don't know. It all seems so fast. Like the way they explained it, and it rushed through, and then suddenly they're fighting it, and they're fighting the weather. And it, I don't know. I felt like there there was like they skipped some some parts. Like they, like they like they had laid out a much larger story, and they're like, oh, we don't have time for this. Let's just cut out a bunch of sections <laughs> okay. and piece it together with quick flashbacks or quick thoughts over and right i don't know i don't know what they could have done different i guess i just felt like i don't know it just seemed to have all of it happened so fast i was i was actually pretty happy with the pacing it felt very 70s to me yeah and maybe that and that react yeah because if this story happened today i mean 12 issues yeah <laughs> and i'm kind of glad what I, I like the contrast yeah. And kind of see the difference in storytelling techniques. There is a lot crammed in three issues, for sure. Yeah. And I guess the the fact is that the, the X-Men have stumbled in on something that's been going on. So right. it's not like... So we're only getting a slice of it Right, anyway. this is the end anyway. They basically... Sh- the X-Men show up in the third act of something that... <laughs> and actually, to be fair, probably had been playing out in Kazar's comic for... Well, yeah, I mean, how many different Savage Land stories could there have been? <laughs> what all is going on down there? Right. So I guess that's kind of it, is that as the writers, they're assuming or hoping as businessmen that you're also reading Kazar's terrible comic. I, I assume it's I, terrible. Assumably terrible. Um, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a guy running around like Tarzan with a saber-toothed tiger. Like He-Man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Battle Cat, yeah. So I don't know... You know, whatever. But anyway, so I guess that makes sense then. So why this seems so fast? Because it's... <laughs> I don't know. Completely tangent, but you said He-Man. 
and I thought Masters of the Universe, and then I wondered why if there's ever been a parody of Masters of Puppets <laughs> by Metallica doing Masters of the Universe, and now it's all I can think about. I don't know. I would hope that would happen. I hope someone has rigged together. Master! Master! Some He-Man figures. Master of the Universe, swing your sword! I don't know. Hold on that. And the video, of course, you get the toys and rig yeah. them and like marionettes, like puppets. Oh, yeah. Stop action. Yeah. Like Robot Chicken. There you go. There you go. Have you ever seen, um, did you ever see that movie about, about paintball? Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, oh, what was it called? I think it was called. Role Models? I don't know. This is not worth it. But uh. no, it's an older movie with Paul Shear and um, the ball. I don't know. Forget it. Okay. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, it's, it was a small movie. It's on Netflix for free. Is it basically uh, the longest yard for paintball? No, no, no. It's, <laughs> it's it, There's one for every sport. The reason I mention it is because it opens up the scene. It's the story of uh, Rob Corddry, as I was trying to think of. Uh, okay. Who apparently was a paintball champion. <laughs> and yeah. in, one, in one big game, he got hit and didn't go down. And then they found out later that he oh, actually so got he hit. cheated. He cheated, basically. So he oh, was yeah. cast out. And then the movie shows up with him coming back and trying to set up a team of misfits to go against. Like <laughs> dodgeball. Very, very dodgeball-y. But this is a, a lot older than dodgeball. So. Oh, okay. And it opens up with Paul Shear telling you that whole backstory, but with He-Man figures. So nice. he's got all the old school He-Man figures that he's he's dictating. He's showing you the <laughs> the, the backstory of the, the the paintball fight and what had been going on. And it, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a somewhat funny movie. I mean, it's all right. I'll see if I can find it, it somewhere. It's the Legend of of something. Bagger Vance. Yeah. No, it's like I want to say blackball, but that's not it. But it's something like that, like something in the Legend of so and so. Anyway, okay. it was a pretty funny movie, and it's a lot of. It's a lot of the it's a lot of really funny guys who are doing different things now. Okay. Completely irrelevant. To That's okay. Let's uh, in the podcast, but let's rain it in. Rain it in. Uh, rain it in. Let's let's grade the, this last it's part. Late, we're getting nuts. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, what'd you give it, or what? What? You, what's your final thoughts on this issue, and then we'll oh, uh, um, we'll conclude about the whole arc here in a minute. I hate to sound repetitive. I'm still gonna stick with the two on this. Okay. Too. Although this is better than the second one. And overall, I like it overall. I just, I don't know. The Savage Land is just, the, it's not compelling <laughs> to me. And I, I Told can't, you. I know. I just, and it's not that I hate it because it's a decent story. And it's, yeah. it's, as, it's as good of a story as I've ever read about the Savage Land. Yes. So, and we get some amazing Wolverine stuff, right? With the healing factor and, you know, his first kill. You know, we get some really good stuff out of this. The art is great. I don't know the petrified man stuff. It's just it's it's just not compelling to me. And I saw I I saw I have a hard time giving it three claws just okay. for that. Just the fact that the story, the overall plot, I don't find very interesting. All right, fair enough. I'm gonna continue. We'll just both be consistent this this episode. I'm gonna give it three out of three claws. Um, art again, just super fantastic. Thought the story was interesting enough and fun enough. Combine that with the revelations of both Wolverine's powers and his character. And, you know, just the John Byrne fight scenes in the issue were just, I don't know, just, it all kind of came together for a total package. And the story is silly. I think I said this the last issue, but it's, it's silly in a way that I found 
entertaining and, and slightly endearing and I don't know, I just Yeah. I, I had fun reading it. So Yeah and so I'm gonna give uh what are we are one sixteen three out of three claws and you can give it two out of three claws. Yeah. Anything else you wanna say particularly about that or you wanna move on and just summarize the whole thing? Yeah, let's move on. Alright. Alright, so Wolverine highlights for the Savage Land trilogy. Um, a lot of good stuff. Well, first of all, it's his first published trip to the Savage Land. True. And that's the place he goes to fairly often, so it's the first yeah. time he goes there. Got that great talking to animals thing. <laughs> the Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> yeah. Um, first kill. First kill. First blood on the claws. And the big old healing factor. Big deal. Yeah, the most important so, part of that healing factor. Yeah. So I would say that's that's kind of part of the reason I wanted to break this story off separately because yeah. we do have a lot that happens, and I didn't want to do the first issue in one podcast. Like, if we broke it off by the years like we had been, doing yeah. the first part in one podcast and the other two in another one. So, um, yeah, really cool stuff in this, this little storyline. So, yeah, I big, guess... Big moment for Wolverine. Yeah, and... His, you know, you weren't here for kind of the end of your four puck episode that we did, but I kind of talked with Denise about how Wolverine's kind of inching towards the forefront, and I feel like this storyline kind of shoves him right up there. Yeah, like it kind of takes that kind of slight, like he's he's kind of becoming a main character to now he is. Yeah, like it's him and it's him and Cyclops, kind of running the show. And not to diminish the other one. Storm's still really strong. Nightcrawler and Colossus, obviously. All of these characters are. Yeah. I'm kind of wondering at what point we see Banshee drop off. Because I know he's not going to be around a whole lot longer. Yeah. But, um. And he's one who has declined. Because he kind of showed up early on. Yeah, it was real strong. And it's kind the of moved to the background. The, the, the veteran, the guy with the experience. That's right. kind of like. That became irrelevant once you yeah. had Wolverine. Well, he's kind of here just <laughs> not to kind of go back to it, just a guy to, to save Cyclops whenever yeah. Cyclops falls down. <laughs> he, does, he does keep saving Cyclops over and over again. But, um, Which, if if he didn't do it, who would? Or it's not Storm. No one, no one else likes Cyclops. Every time Storm tries to save somebody, they fall into the middle of the earth. Oh. Oh Sorry, snap! Storm. Sorry, Storm. Yeah. Storm. Yeah, she she saved she saved uh, Wolverine and Colossus before. So. She saved all of them several times. Yeah. So, all right, cool. Well, um, so next chronologically will be probably the next digital Wolverine episode. Uh, the next time we do a flashback will be Wolverine goes to Japan. So we'll see his first uh, trip. To the uh, nation that's uh, pretty important to his history. Um, so that'll be kind of the next little shorter episode. Actually, we made a little a little chart for where we're next several flashback episodes. But um, there you go. But that'll be the next one, and uh, so we'll do that at some point in August. Um, still have the the one year anniversary coming up. Got some things in the works for that. Yeah, I'm going to do the normal plugs. Um, leave an iTunes review. The web actual website, if you want to get to that, is uh, snickcast.podbean.com. You can search for us on Facebook and like us. Uh, if you don't want to search, the actual URL is facebook.com slash 
Snick Podcast fan page. Uh, Twitter handle is at Snickcast. Email Snickcast at Yahoo.com. Cameron, what do you got going on? Same old, same old. Historybanter.com is my right. website. Podcast, History Banter Podcast. We review basically historical movies or history-themed movies and talk about whether they're true to the history or not. Basically, a couple of historians that watch too much TV is how I define <laughs> it. So um, check it out. Got a lot of new stuff. We just did our, uh, we just released our platoon podcast on that. Yeah, I saw that. I haven't listened to it yet, yeah. but I saw the thing on Facebook today. Oliver Stone, which turned out to be my favorite Oliver Stone movie, and I didn't even know. So. It doesn't have to be much to be my <laughs> favorite Oliver mean Stone much, movie because I don't like Oliver Stone. But yeah, but in this case, but anyway, yeah. So that's that's my thing. All right, cool. At History Banter is our Twitter, my Twitter at Cameron Sinclair. Awesome. So go check that out. It's pretty good. I'm almost caught up. Apparently I missed one. <laughs> I just but, um, last Friday. So. Yeah. All right. Cool. So, um, but yeah, it's definitely, definitely worth listening to. And it's, if you like history, you'll definitely be at home, but um, it's also pretty humorous and entertaining. So definitely want to, definitely want to check it out. All right. Well, um, it's late. I need to go home and go to bed. Cameron's got a baby. He's probably going to wake up any minute now <laughs> for his uh, post midnight feeding. So uh, we're going to get out of here. Until next time, hugs and snicks. Bye. Thanks.